Jake here. Before we start this week's episode, you should know that this one is going to be a little different. On Friday through Monday of this week, I was on vacation at Gamers Ranch with my wife Bridget, friends of the show Jamie Stegmeyer, Paul Solomon, and a bunch of other friends. I drove home yesterday and that evening recorded this episode that you're about to hear. I was a bit wiped out, and I'm not going to lie, we didn't do a whole lot of preparing anyways, which may show in the conversation that follows. On top of this, I've been catching up on work and some much-needed things around the house today, and that hasn't left me with a whole lot of turnaround time to get this show edited and published. Still, the show must go on. So in order to get this episode out to y'all, I decided that I'm going to do the most bare-bones edit possible, and I just wanted you to know going in that you're getting more or less, the rough cut of this week's episode. So stick around because I do discuss my first experiences with a bunch of newer titles like Heat, Earth, The Search for Lost Species, and a bunch of other stuff. There are some hidden gems in there too, and Brendan also talks about what he's been playing. Okay, great. Enjoy the show, and we'll be back to regular programming next week. Back. Welcome to Decision Space. Wait, f- I don't, I'm used to reading it. <laughs> the only Wait, I'll, try, I'll try and do it. I'll try and do it. Okay. 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 <clears throat> Welcome to Decision Space, the only show that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is is the podcast about decisions in games. And in today's episode, we're doing mini reviews of recent games we played. Jake and I recently went on a pair, not together, unfortunately, of vacations. We're excited to report that we played a lot of games. Well, Jake did. I've played a lot of games, a few games recently that I'll sneak in, but Jake went on a gaming nirvana vacation extravaganza. A retreat. A retreat. That's that's a word you could use. But who doesn't want to be invited to a gaming nirvana extravaganza? Okay, Brendan, where were you at? I was on Cape Cod with Okay. Yeah, where were you at? That sounds lovely and delightful. I was at the Gamers Ranch in Missouri, which I could talk a little bit more about what that is in the main topic. But before we do that, please Please, please, if you would be so kind, leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. We're really trying to make a push for reviews so that we can continue to grow our humble little podcast. And thank you so much for taking the time to do that. We also wanted to let you know if you're a pre-planner who likes to play games along with us, some games you can brush up on that we'll be doing deep dives on in a future episode. We have an episode planned where we'll be covering Push Your Luck games specifically Spot and Can't Stop. We'll highlight those two games and then talk about some other fun push your luck games and mechanism talk. And then we're also planning an episode on Arc Nova. So I think those will be our next two deep dive-ish episodes. And then we have an exciting news to report. If you are a fan of Splatter Games or Food Chain Magnate, you need to thank our patrons because our patrons recently got to vote for the next game that we would cover in a deep dive on Decision Space. And after much deliberation, many games voted for and recommended like Concordia and Bunny Kingdom and lots of other stuff. They decided that the order was up and we'd be covering Food Chain Magnate. So Jake... Get your weightlifting gloves out. It's going to be a heavy one. I don't know if our patrons actually like us very much. 
<laughs> no, I'm I just kidding. Is- I think sometimes they push us to play games we might not otherwise play, and I'm excited for the challenge. Less excited about figuring out how to get enough plays in to truly deep dive this beast, but nevertheless, it should be a great episode when we get to it. I was really excited for the train game takeover. I thought we were rolling with full steam. We're going to get 1899 in there. We're Did the we train just, game podcast. We're the train game podcast. We're going to cover Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride. <laughs> Ticket to Ride Europe. <laughs> Okay, we got to go to these mini reviews before okay. we lose our listeners. All right. But Jake, okay, wait. Before Transition. we do that, oh, what okay. is Gamer's Ranch? Gamer's Ranch is a vacation property here in Missouri. It's only about an hour and 50 minutes away from St. Louis, which is great for me because I live in St. Louis. So I was able to drive over there uh, quite easily. Essentially, what it is is like a really fancy Airbnb that sleeps. 25 people or something like that there's a big room full of bunk beds but then there's also a ton of uh rooms that share like two queen beds and then there's also several private rooms as well where you can have a little more privacy in the property there's a board game library that's well over a thousand games that has all kinds of new stuff um basically one of the shelves you walk in is just like new games they had you know challengers they had Woodcraft. I don't know. They had basically all kinds of hot new games there. And then the other shelf in that main room is the Board Game Geek Top 100. So it has all the games in the Top 100 just right there on that shelf. So that's a pretty cool setup. And then you go in and you basically have like a, a library that rivals you know, what they have at Geekway or your yeah. mid-sized board game convention uh, for you to to pick through and play that's just on the board game side there's also an arcade room where they have like a dance dance revolution which i played which was really fun um they've got like five free to play pinball machines if you're a pinball head they've got like the brand new stern machines i went crazy on godzilla and i even got to type my initials in for like a couple of the challenges in there so that was big for me and then to top it all off the vacation properties on a really nice sized lake there's a ton of kayaks so we went swimming in there and then all around the lake is a legit 18 hole disc golf course that's like very nice well maintained uh and it's just an absolute joy to be able to walk out of your you know vacation property in the morning and get your disc golf round in before it gets too hot cool off in the lake and then you know that's your morning and then you spend your afternoon evening just just gaming i mean it couldn't be more perfect for myself and kind of the group of friends that gather there, many of which were from our board gaming slash disc golfing St. Louis group. Uh, so yeah, as we're really like hitting the bullseye on the Venn diagram of what this place offered. Amazing. And to translate that for you, listener, this means you're going to get previews and mini reviews of an auction game, a deduction game, the hotness, a review of one of Jake's favorite games of all time, but it, he played it in a new version. We'll wow. t- I'll talk about a train game. We'll talk about a Kramer and Keesling game, trick-taking games, even hotter hotness. It's going to be really good. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say, if you're uh, about the game's range, I just want to say thank you to uh, Jamie Stegmeyer who organized the trip. Uh, if you know, really appreciate the invite. This is the second year we've done it and it's becoming like a highlight truly of my year. It's so much fun. So, you know, 
really grateful that Bridget and I were included in that group. And I think it takes a tremendous amount of work just on the back end, like organizing schedules. Everybody's like bringing in food. So all the meals were sort of planned out. People like signed up for shift. So taking care of all that kind of legwork made everything just like go off without a hitch. And I think safe to say everybody there had an awesome time. That's awesome. And, you know, thank you to Jamie for yet another year of Jake being able to come back and report to us about all the amazing games he's played. You know, my, my father recently sent, sent me a book called 21st Century Monetary Policy, which is great because we're going to go right into quantitative easing. Yeah. What do you think? So this is a classic auction game. Is it a classic auction game? I okay. think it's kind of new, right? And we're okay, talking but- about... You said quantitative easing. I think the QE. actual name of the game is QE, which of course stands for that thing that you said. Quantitative easing. Yeah. Okay, so I think this is almost a modern auction game. As close as we get to a modern auction game, right? Where like auction games have fallen off. Like if anyone talks about an auction game that's well known in the last five to seven years, I feel QE is in the mix. So what did you think of this maybe classic Maybe not classic, but very well known. Okay, I just had to look up, since you're throwing around this word classic, this came out in in 2019. So just like in terms- Within the last four years. Yeah, it's pretty new, I think. Uh, But anyway, QE, I had a complete blast playing this game. It is just absolutely wacky. The crazy hook for QE is that it's an auction game that gives everybody whiteboards. And when you bid- you can bid any amount of money that you want because you are playing as a country who can print their own money. So one person might bid one cent and somebody else sitting right next to them at the same time might bid $1 billion. And all of that works within this game. And the fact that it works at all is absolutely insane. The actual mechanism of the game is essentially a flip and right because what you're doing is just flipping over the commodity that people are bidding for. And then the auctioneer sets the price. If nobody bids higher than that, they buy it for that. Uh, And then everybody puts in their bid secretly. And then the auctioneer will give the, you know, whatever the commodity is that people are bidding for to the player who bid the most, but keep their bid secret. And then the player who won it has to write down how much they spent on it on the back of the card. Since they're all like dry erase material. And at the end of the game, you basically get points by collecting sets of different commodities. And the in a high society-like fashion, the twist at the end is whoever spent the most money cannot win. Uh, so it just is hilarious, wacky fun. You know, we started out in the thousands and, you know, by the end of it, we were bidding, you know, somewhere, I think like the high water mark on what people were spending was like, like the person who lost had spent like 1.5 billion, but we were all kind of around like 1.3 billion ish. And it, you know, it's just so funny. We also played with the expansion, which is hilarious uh, and, and great. The expansion, what I believe it adds not being, this was my only experience with the game. So I'm not familiar with just the base game alone, but it adds a commodity you can get for second place. And there are three, one is oil, one is gold, and the other is crypto. I'll just explain crypto for the sake of time. But crypto is hilarious because it just gives you a random amount of points, zero to 10. So you might buy it for like $300 million and get a zero or a 10. Uh, And the whole thing is just hilarious. My only 
criticism about the game is like i it feels like the kind of game that's impossible to get better at you know like i don't like i played it had fun i was kind of like competitively in the mix and i don't feel that same urge that i tend to have in a normal game where it's like oh i want to go back because i think i could do better like this is just so wacky and off the wall that it just and everything's just like made up right we're all making up an economy on the fly that it doesn't really feel like there could be much improving, but maybe that's just my lack of capacity for understanding quantitative easing as a concept. So totally fun game, really simple rules that highly recommend everybody try this one at least once. Okay, two questions. How long was your play? Probably in the 45 minute range, okay, if great. not and under. Yeah. If you played again, would you just try to win every early auction? Well, it, like what's the meta? That's pretty much what I tried to do. It So the meta was like defined in our game by everything was like kind of in the tens of thousands of range. Yeah. And I won a few auctions early. I thought I was doing really good. And then an auctioneer, I think made what ended up being like a pretty big blunder. But he just set the price of an auction at $1 billion. So we could all see that. But then they lost. So then I won it for like, I think I, so then I was like, okay, so I had spent like, you know, 87,000 up to that point, which is like zero, right? When somebody Compared else to a billion, a billion. So then I like, you know, I won the next bid for like, you know, 37 million. I'm like, this is still pretty much zero compared right. to a billion, right? <laughs> but then, you know, the, you, you kind of get money back. Whoever spent the second most, that's money you get back. So they the kind of, game kind of turned on a moment where i think somebody put up a bid for like 600 million and everybody was kind of like let's sink them let's sink them but i really wanted the commodity so i gave them 500 million so everybody thought that they had lost a lot of money but really they had only lost 100 million of net loss and that person ended up winning <laughs> so I, so i don't know maybe this gives you some some concept of just like how wacky this game is but totally fun experience that's one i would love to play it sounds about as zany as i would hope and yeah we should put on the list for geekway next year yeah i think that'd be a perfect it's a perfect cleanse it'd be awesome to play with decision space listeners too all right well that was quick see this is gonna be really breezy (laughs) the next game i want to talk about i think it's one that a lot of people listening will be excited about it's the follow-up to the search for planet x And this game is called The Search for Lost Species. If you've played The Search for Planet X, you know almost exactly how this game plays. It is a app-driven deduction game where each person has their own sheet of paper and they're trying to do a deduction puzzle to figure out where the lost species in the game must be following a set of logic, universal logic rules that were all given. Uh, So in Search for Planet X, you're searching for a planet, obviously, and the objects that you know about are like asteroids and gas clouds. In this game, it's all animals on an island. So it'll be something like, like there's a bird called a lorry, and you know that the lorry have to come in a diamond pattern. So if you find one lorry, you have a really good sense where the other ones are. Um, There's like a python, and there's only one python, and I think that gives you some information about, you know, like maybe like the hidden species can't be on the same terrain type as the python, stuff like that. Uh, The actions in this game, you're using the app to give yourself more information. So you can survey by foot, which takes a certain amount of time uh, that you kind of have a time track around the board that you're you're moving around and it has this sort of last to 
act first to go next. So whoever's last in time track gets to keep taking turns until they pass somebody. So you want to be really efficient with how you're using time. So you can survey by foot and look at three up to three regions and say, is there a Python in here? And the app will be like, nope, no Pythons here. So you can like X off the Pythons. Uh, And then you could survey by boat, which allows you to move faster and cover more ground for less time. But, you know, it's not going to give you a specific of information because you have to look at like four things minimum, maybe. Uh, So I could be like, okay, I'm going to survey one to seven and look for pythons. And the app will be like, nope, no pythons there either. And now I X off the pythons. I'm like, great. I've knocked out like half of this. Where the F is this python? And that's pretty much how the game goes. There's other actions in it until somebody is ready to say, I think I found it on their turn. They can put punch it in if the app will be like yep you're right and that'll trigger the end of the game the big difference between this one and the other one is that you actually have like a person on a map so there's like Mm, some a spatial puzzle spatial puzzle a little bit going on there's also power like unique power cards you can get when you take the research action which gives you like a very unhelpful i found logic clue which i think maybe it was like underpowered in search for planet x because in this one when you take that action you also get a powerful card so that might give you bonus points at the end of the game for every lorry that you've successfully identified or mine gave me the ability to use only two time when i took the you know search by foot action or whatever uh so that was kind of a cool twist i'm really terrible at these games so my experience playing this uh search for planet x I'm always playing with my wife and she's always like, great, I solved it. And I'm like, awesome. I think I know what is in these two of like 18 sectors. So it's fun playing this with some other people. Unfortunately, Bridget was also playing with us and the exact same thing happened, but it was validating for me, right? You know, right, right. she like beat everyone. Going on and Bridget's like, I would like to solve. And everybody's just like, what? <laughs> and then it's like, yep, I got it right. Like, okay, great. So that was pretty much my experience with it. I think it was, you know, fun game. I, if you're a fan of these, I, it just gives you a different type of deduction puzzle to si- solve. Uh, if you didn't like Search for Planet X, it's an obvious pass. But if you love deduction games, then I think this is an easy recommend. going to give you more of what you like in Search for Planet X. And it's also going to have some fun new twists. Though the last thing I'll say about it is the theme definitely falls apart a little bit compared to base uh, when you're like researching an island and it's like this, you know, hex on the island is a truly empty space, like no animals here, right? Or like a python cannot be next to a monkey, right? It's like, I don't think that's how forest works. <laughs> Nature's war- yeah. It probably doesn't, have, it's not how space works either, but it's a lot easier for my brain to be like, of course, a glass ca- cloud can't be next to an asteroid. Sure, sure, totally. That's so interesting. So I, I'm i at like a little bit of a loss listening to the description. Because I feel like if I was a huge planet, fan of Search for Planet X, I'd probably be excited. Mm-hmm. I've never played it. And I, I feel like I'm in the same seat as you where I'm like, okay, if I played a Search for Planet X, I'd probably like it okay. But maybe I'm not super hungry. I guess my question is, Jake, would you rather play more games like this or play the Search for Lost Species again or maybe play an exit game? I mean, they're very different. Sure. From an exit game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For me, they're both like puzzle solving games. They're they're both puzzle solving games. I think the big difference here is that this is a competitive game purely, right? Sure. So if you want to do a competitive deduction game, I think this is really good. I think uh, Cryptid is one I've played too that also seems 
really good. Yeah. Uh, all of these things just confound me so completely <laughs> that, you know, it's hard for me to, to separate them that much. But, you know, the app worked great. The gameplay, you know, was cool. It's definitely thematically engaging. But yeah, I, that's, that's pretty much all I can say. I, to me, the difference was from where I'm coming from, not being like a expert at this type of game or that knowledgeable about them. The difference felt very small mm. between this and Search for Planet X, which I own. And, you know, it made me want to go back and play that, you know, like, oh, that this is a fun. Lot. I should go yeah. play Search for Planet X again, but not like I'm going to go get this new one because it's yeah. kind of the same. Right. Interesting. Well, that sounds cool. I'm glad to know that Bridget's still mopping the floor with all y'all in these yeah. Search for games. Yeah, she literally got it was, it's Paul Solomon's game, friend of the show, uh, president of the PWH fan club. And he got like five points and Bridget got like 35. So she like seven yes. X'd his score. <laughs> Slay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, Jake, this next game, I'm very excited to hear about. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, we're a little bit fans of it on the show. Yes. But Some you've done. may know. It's like mashup, special rules. Okay. Yeah. So the game we're talking about next is Challengers. Obviously. <laughs> Wait, there's big news. Yeah, there's it big news. It won the Kinnerspiel of yours. Yes, it won the Kinnerspiel. Okay, so anyway, I'll tell the story of this game. So okay. we played Challengers at Gamers Ranch, but instead of just playing a regular game of Challengers, we got 16 people, had two sets of Challengers going. So we had two pods of eight, and then we had the grand champion from each pod play, play. against each other so for sick. one ultimate champion of challengers for the it, it was so much fun everybody had an awesome time and it was like wrangling freaking sheep or whatever to is that what people say wrangling sheep <laughs> i think hurting cats is hurting same. cats yeah. it was like hurting cats I think wrangling sheep is easy <laughs> yeah that's, that's when i said i thought that seemed wrong right <laughs> yeah, like yeah. anyone can do that <laughs> anyone can wrangle sheep <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm easy for me to <laughs> all say. you need is a dog and a crook and you're good to go <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally yeah it was tough to get people to play because it was like this like uh i don't know i think i think everyone should try this game obviously i don't need to say that we had a whole podcast saying that but for whatever reason you know a lot of people maybe didn't like their first play of it it's just a polarizing game so yeah at first we had like 11 people and we really and you know i had to again thank jamie because he was like fully on board he was like no we need 16 people right so we kind of like went around tapping people and then we had 12 and we're like, okay, six and six, that'll work. And then one other person showed up and then it's like, okay, now we we're so close. definitely need it. And then we, so we ended up getting all the way up to 16. So not everyone was super excited, but afterwards, like everybody had a complete blast with it. I heard comments like, I'm still literally, I just like overheard somebody saying like, I'm still coming to terms with how much fun I had playing challengers. <laughs> so anyway, it was a total blast. We had mostly new players, so easy to teach. You know, it went off without a hitch. Unfortunately, Paul did become our grand chan champion. What was he playing? He played a big exhaust strategy deck. Okay. No. Yeah. Butlers, my, vacuums. My, yeah. And my deck was so good. When I, I got like triple stable boy, I was like going off, but then it, which is kind of perfect so by far the most. I probably played 25 times more than anyone sure, else yeah. in the thing. We, we have an illness. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I was like, I'm just going to like, I kept getting all the great, these great cards. Like my deck was so good. I think I had like four dogs and three stable boys. Whoa. Yeah. I, it was crazy. You really could hurt cheap. Yeah. But I, my stable boys 
which can happen in the game. Like my stable boys just kept coming up early. Uh, so I won like one through four, but I couldn't find a win in five, six mm. or seven. I even lost to Bridget in round seven, who just nearly missed out on being in our championship game for our pod by like a couple of points in her first play, which is kind of great, right? It's like yeah. not like the most experienced person is going to win, yeah. but I still had just like so much fun playing my deck. And then, like, shortly after that, I, maybe it was, like, the next day or whatever, I saw that, the, here's the big news, which was that Challengers won the Kenner Spiel, which is really validating for me. <laughs> like, I took that as a personal accomplishment, uh, and I took it upon myself to, like, go around and, like, tell everybody at the <laughs> Gamers Ranch, probably pretty obnoxiously. But I honestly, a lot, again, polarizing views on that. I think it's great. You know, I love the game. It maybe is, you know, maybe the Kenner's wheel could have some heavier stuff or maybe something else should exist that is a step above that. But I mean, Kenner's wheel, whatever. Challenger is awesome game. And I'm glad that it's getting recognition. I love to hearing a story of like the one you have, you know, you experience with the game, loving this experience of playing it at 16 to this anecdote of I'm still coming to terms with how much I enjoyed challengers, which I think is a testament to like the raw fun factor of challengers combined with the fact that at its face value, it doesn't seem like a game you should play 20 times and then it will get better every time you play it. But ultimately what we discovered on the show is that it is a game that gets better the more you play it. Right. And I think that that's such a cool like testament to that. And I'm glad it won this Kenner spiel because it's almost licensed for people to go deeper. And it's a game that deserves it, even if maybe at face value it reads as like, this is zany party fun. And it is, but it also has these like really rich drafting decisions that are cool. So I love that it can exist yeah. in all these different forms. One other player who was really skeptical going into the game, I overheard them afterwards saying like, can we just keep playing? Like, let's just see how our decks fight against each other. Oh, that's cool. It was cool. Yeah. Again, like, I don't know why I take this as such a personal victory, but I really do. That's awesome. Okay, so the next game, I was not at Gamers Ranch. So I'm talking about some games that I have played recently or maybe played in the past and have returned to. So one of the games that I wanted to uh, talk about that I had a recent play of was Equinox, a 2021 re-release of Colossal Arena, which is itself a 1997 Reiner Knizia game. Equinox is beautiful. It's published by Plan B Games, the people who did Azul. And then that was the first game they did. So then they kind of just kept doing Azul. And then they also did Reef and some other things. But Equinox is, is a game that they decided to bring back. Uh, and it re-implements Colossal Arena. It's mostly the same game with a few other elements. But the, the pitch of uh, Equinox slash Colossal Arena is essentially that players are building uh, are dealt a hand of cards and you're making bids on what suits will persist throughout a number of rounds as you play through the course of like nine rounds, maybe slightly fewer. Uh, maybe it's it's like more than seven rounds of this game. And the way it works is each you go around laying cards down to a tableau uh, and each round the suit that has the lowest value is removed from the tournament, more or less. So in Equinox, it's natural creature themed. In Colossal Arena, it's sort of fighting themed with mythical creatures. Uh, and each of these different uh, suits, which are in Equinox are represented by maybe a mystical stag or an ogre or a, com a, a monkey or a phoenix, uh, have a special power associated with them, such that if you are the one, you have five bidding 
chips. The earlier you bid on a suit, the more points you'll get for it if it persists until the end of the game. If it doesn't persist, you get no points. Uh, so there's some risk reward involved with public bids and people know what you're invested in. But if you have the most bids on a certain suit and you play that suit, you'll get to activate a special power associated with it. I think Equinox is an interesting Kinesia game that I'm glad I've played. But now that I've played it uh, a handful of times, around five or so, maybe six or seven, uh, I've come to, I've come to appreciate that it's a game with a lot of variants, which is not typically something that I uh, am shy about. I like high variance games. We're just talking about how awesome Challengers is, but I don't think it it, it gives you enough impactful decisions mm. uh, tied with that variance. So sometimes Equinox is a game where you can feel a little bit like you're along for the ride. It's fun to see what happens at times, but it's just long enough that it's a little bit of a bummer that your decisions don't have more impact. So for me, it's a Kinesia miss rather than a Kinesia home run, like so often his games are. Yeah, that was going to be my question, which you already answered, which was going to be how long is it? Because I think having high variance and low decision impact is something that can still work, even though it sounds yeah. bad, if the game is really short. You know? yeah. And we'll talk more about that in our upcoming Push Your Luck episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we don't belabor the point here too yeah. much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what's interesting is, you know, there's this tension whenever you bring a game back, Jake, right? Like Colossal Arena came out in 19, 1997. It had this following somewhat and was known as a good a good gem of his catalog. And there's this tension whenever you bring a game back. This was 24 years later. Do you preserve what was there or do you modernize it for the for the modern audience and the contemporary taste? And I feel like Equinox maybe a little bit took the middle ground approach mm. where it tries to make some changes that try to accommodate a new taste, but it doesn't go far enough. And I almost wish, you know, you're going to make a new game, you're going to retheme it, you're going to name it something else. I kind of wish they had just taken the system and said, how can we really make this sing uh, yeah. with Kinesia maybe? So yeah, no, cool game. Makes I'm glad sense. I played it. Glad I'm going to gonna take that transition and run to something old and new that I played at Gamers Ranch, which was the opportunity to play Castles of Burgundy Deluxe. So I, you know, Castles of Burgundy is famously, probably one of the most famous things about it is that it's one of my personal favorite games. <laughs> well known across the world. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, you know, with the Gamers Ranch, there was a sheet going around like, what are some games that you'd want to play? And I put in there, like if anybody has the Castle of Burgundy Deluxe Edition, bring it. I'd love to take it for a spin. I've been I didn't back it myself and I've been having a little bit of FOMO seeing that, you know, on Facebook or whatever, people are getting these Castle of Burgundy games and it is absolutely stunning, as gorgeous as advertised. The personal player boards are like, you know, triple layer deep or whatever, where you can have like a grid, I don't know, nexus thing that you put in there so that all your tiles like fit perfectly and can't be moved around. Uh, everything has its perfect spot where to go. Uh, all each tile has its own bag, which really truly does a lot to speed up the setup and teardown. So I have only good things to say about that. And I absolutely loved my experience playing it. But I do want to offer, I guess, some commentary or criticism around some of the expansion stuff that I had the opportunity to play with, which is that I let's go on a little journey, Brendan. Okay. Okay. I have the old Ravensburger Aaliyah 
version of Castles of Burgundy that's in like the Burgundy Beautiful box. beige. Yeah, it's just yeah. like the one that was like forever like when I first joined the hobby in 2015, everybody's like, if there that was like the one game that everybody was like, this game needs a reprint. We can't play this. It's so ugly. <laughs> okay. And then they they came out with like the I don't know 20th anniversary edition, even though the game was like 11 years old or that at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ask. Um, that came out and it's fundamentally, you know, it didn't look the best in my opinion. Yeah. So I was like, skip it. But that game did include a small gameplay mechanical change in that it added a new science tile that is, in my opinion, and seemingly most people's opinion, just completely overpowered compared to the power level of the rest of the science tiles. This is the one... I'm not going to explain how Castle Burgundy works. If you're interested, we have a whole episode on it. But this is the one that allows you to spend two workers to get a good from the black or get a uh, tile from the black market. Whoa. Right. Is that crazy? That's silly. Yeah. Yeah, So you can just spend your turn to get two workers and then just get that. Okay. So I was kind of interested, like, what are they going to do with that in going this new version? And the way I understand it is like the new version not only has that tile, but it has some other new tiles that are recommended for play. I think recommended the person who owned the game said, I basically keep these in at all times. And they were like on the basic player aid. So that's my assumption. So they added these some new tiles that are kind of interesting There's a white tile that can go in any region and it doesn't have any beneficial effect. It just fills up a region. And when that region is scored, it counts as one higher capacity. So if you fill up a three region with that, it counts as like a four region. That's great. One of those comes out every round in the black market. There's And then there's like three new buildings or no, there's two new buildings. There's a really cool one called the White Castle which when you play that, you get to use the white die as an extra action, which is, I think that one is super cool, right? Because that's like, it's limited. It's not just like a free action, like a castle. And you have to really pick your spot to where you're going to use that. That one's a home run. Uh, And then there's another one that when you play it, it's another building that when you play it, you can trigger any building ability, which seems kind of busted, right? Like just better than all the other ones. And then there's another an, an, there's another animal. There's goose in the game. There's, it's a two geese, and they count as wild animals, which is pretty pretty That's rad. That's also adorable. I love that one because I think the animals are like not the most powerful thing you can be doing. So amping those up a little bit to help people like complete their sets or that's that's for the good. Um, but my commentary here is like it already felt like in the regular old version of the game the boards that have larger areas of building tiles are a little bit better than the boards that don't have that Mm -hmm. everybody's always going to be playing the same amount of tiles roughly over the course of the game you're going to end with like approximately five or six empty spots so if that's true you want to be filling up bigger regions because they just get more points right you know by and large and there used to be a big risk reward factor right if i have a board that has a seven or an eight area of building tiles because you can't have two of the same type of building in a town you know region or whatever it was like people could really try and like block you but that's basically entirely gone right because you have the white tile that can go there and two new building types making it like far easier to complete those spaces 
So it just makes it feel like the different boards are like more unbalanced with this new setup. This was my first play with any of this stuff. So anyway, I just want to add that thought. The mitigating thing of all this is the the, uh, game comes with like literally like 100 sheets of city boards. So there's like there's like 25 different ones and they come with four of each one. So everybody Whoa. could always play the exact same board. That's how I'm going to recommend to our audience to play it because I think the boards are just like not balanced and they've sort of mitigated it in that way. Be like, okay, if you want it balanced, just play the same board. And I think that's a pretty good solution. But those are my thoughts on this game. Really unmatched production. I'm jealous of everyone who has it, but I'm not sure that I'm going to be rushing out to buy it just yet. Do you think that if you... Do you think... If this game was free to you, would you be excited to play this version more and explore this version more? 100%. Okay. Yeah, and there's a lot of expansions in there that I've never played and I definitely want to play more. It's just a matter of like, do I want, am, how often am I really going to get it to the table? Like it yeah, feels like a perfect totally. case where like, if anybody I know has this, like I'm just going to be like, hey, I want to like explore this with you, you know, because that would probably be the person in my life who I would play it with anyway. Yeah. So I'm going to just sure. try and free ride on this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that's really cool. And I love hearing about a lot of the changes that happened in that game. I didn't know about the the white tile. Or yeah, I, I some had of those no idea twists. either. Yeah, yeah so which seemed cool. really meaningful. Yeah, it's like a meaningfully changed re-implementation and includes like all the expansions that have ever existed, including like a brand new one that we didn't play with. That seems like it does a lot of really interesting and wacky things. So there's a ton of content in that box to explore for the, the Castle of Burgundy fan, which I am one, but I'm just also a fan of like other stuff. So yeah. You know, it's tough. It's a tough one. Maybe I should get it. I'm waffling. (laughs) It's tough too when you've invested, you know, this is a game you have access to playing online. So you've played it hundreds of times. Yeah. Uh, So at some point, you know, no matter how much you love eating salmon nigiri, eventually it's like, maybe I should try the the yellowtail. Absolutely. Why don't we jump over to one of your next ones since I've been talking a lot. That sounds great. So I, you know, Jake, playing uh, Chicago Express, I had my train game uh, radar peaked, I guess. Radar is probably the wrong metaphor. My train game throttle No, peaked? that's worse. No, no, no. The trains have a throttle, I think. Um, <laughs> more to come, you know, we're the train game podcast. The train but, uh, game podcast. Anyway, <laughs> one of the other games designed by the designer of Chicago Express that's kind of well well known and accessible to play on Board Game Arena is called Paris Connection. And this game was pitched to me by Ender of our Discord as sort of a, a party train game, which was a novel thing. I, I sort of said, okay, how would that work? And Paris Connection is interesting because you, you have the shares uh, that are available in a typical train games. So you're trying to buy into certain rail lines that are each getting their own points. And at the end of the game, you get paid out based on the number of shares that you have, you basically, the shares act as a multiplier against the points that those rail lines have earned. And they're trying to build these rail lines across all of France. So there's four, there's like a handful of uh, train colors, let's say five. And each turn you have a simple choice. Do you want to build out a rail line using available pieces from that, from that railroad? So it's a cube rails game. There's no shapes. You're just adding the pieces to a given space, hoping to connect them to cities, which will get that rail line more points. Or do you want to swap 
out a piece in your rail line portfolio for new colors that are available. So a lot of the game revolves around this tension of, okay, do I want to manipulate the board state in a way that would be advantageous for the shares I already have? Or do I want to get new shares of a different company? But all of this is happening in a way that people will see what shares you're opting into, which might shift what they do. So much of train games, right, is trying to get to piggyback on other people's actions or maybe find a way to incentivize them to take actions that will benefit you. Uh, so a lot of this is figuring out what rail lines other people are already invested in and figuring out the right time to snatch up all those shares so you can get paid out. Uh, it plays very quickly. It's a breezy game with a, a light rule set. I will say I didn't find it as engaging or deep as Chicago Express, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And it's one that I'd love to try on the table. And I think pretty novel to have a game that plays five players uh, fairly comfortably uh, and fairly quickly as well for a game that's sort of not just a, a party game, like just one or something like that. Yeah, it, it sounds like one I should try maybe on line. I have heard the criticism that it can be one of those games that takes as long to set up as it <laughs> takes to play. Yeah, kind of like a hey, that's my fish situation. But yeah, it sounds like sounds like a fun game. And I'm glad you've been having fun with it. I think this is one that you might really dig if you if you played it and kind of got into the headspace. Yeah. And it's also one that you might go, okay. Yeah, I it's interesting. I, I mean, train games are still just like a weird space. I mean, obviously, like we're huge train gamers right, right, now. Right. This yeah, is like yeah. the train game podcast. We don't even have to say that. People know. <laughs> uh, but like uh, subsequent plays of Chicago Express, I feel like if anything are like reinforcing my kind of like weirdness about it. So I would be interested to try this different riff and see if like similar problems pop up for me or if I dig it more. And it's so interesting, these subsequent plays of Chicago Express, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this game. You like it more? I can't get enough. Oh, that's yeah, funny. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And we, so listen to our Chicago Express episode yeah. for more thoughts of and kind of where we ended up diverging a bit on that. Brenda, I wanted to just tell a really quick story from the ranch okay. uh, as a interlude. Because one of the cool things about the ranch, okay, is there's a disc golf course right outside. Amazing. But there's also a lake right outside. And when you're standing on the back porch area, there's a peninsula with a disc golf basket on it. And it's about 320 feet to land, which is not That's a like, long shot. It's a it's a di good distance shot. It's not like Football an field. impossible distance to reach. Um, but you know, it's, that's close to my max power, Yeah. but it's also a peninsula, right? So it's not like you can just throw it that far. Cause if you're not throwing it that far and accurately, it's going to be water on all the other sides. Yep. And there's like a railing, like a handrail. So people don't fall in the lake. So you can't just, it, the, I don't know if the railing really messes up your shot, but it definitely is like in your head. You're like, I don't sure. want to just like slam my hand on this railing or like chuck a disc right into this railing. Oh, so, wow. Anyway, we were we spent a lot of time throwing <laughs> discs at that peninsula, losing them in the water. We found some floating discs that they just had at the gamers ranch for people to like practice or learn the game. So and these were like really they're, they're called like flippy, like understable. That's the disc golf turn like that. They want to like turn over in the air and go right when you throw it backhand. Weird. So I was like throwing this thing hard. It's basically like corkscrewing and going into the water. And we had Bridget out in a kayak. And Scott, another person that was there, were in kayaks, like driving around, like collecting these discs and bringing it back to us. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And then 
I was playing games with friend of the show, Paul Solomon, and we got done with the game and Paul's like, where I'm like, Paul, like, what are we going to play next? And Paul's like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out there. Paul was in rare form this whole day. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to chuck one of these things onto the peninsula. So he takes the disc. He's in Crocs and he's going to toss this thing. And I have it all on video. It's an incredible video. And I just tell you this to say that Decision Space has recently created an Instagram and I'm just going to encourage everyone to, if you're on Instagram, follow us on Instagram and you'll see the exciting conclusion of this croc disc golf shot. Okay. And for reference, Paul Solomon is like one of the best disc golfers in St. Louis. Not one so, of the best in St. Louis, but he's definitely one of the best in our group. He's like okay. the second best of like the 20 of us that are like, we'll play together. Uh, okay. I saw on Instagram recently, Paul was like, I just went to this course and beat the record by like he minus shot, He shot 17 down of, eight, yeah, that's of 18 insanity. possible, but there, like, there's so many good disc golfers here. That's you know. awesome. Okay, well, he's, 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 he's like in the upper echelon for sure. I'm just jumping in here from the edit to say that I've thought about this more and I've changed my mind. I do think Paul is one of the best disc golfers in St. Louis. Congratulations, buddy. That's a very exciting anecdote. And I'm really excited that Decision Space has an Instagram. I've really been enjoying watching. Is that Jake's. like pretty like flawless of like a, really a promo? promo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was you really think I got away with that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited. Now I want to go see the video, which and will Brid hopefully be posted soon. And Bridget also wanted me to tell the story about how she was in the kayak. kayak. <laughs> going I think that's really dust. awesome. Yeah. Well, that's a cool anecdote. Follow us on Instagram. I'll be posting uh, images of the games I play. I know Jake will continue to be doing that as well and we'd love to interact with you there if you don't uh, follow us on other places that's a great place to stay engaged with decision space yeah. and maybe get a sneak peek of what we're playing and might yeah on the totally show. And it's brand new that we just added anyway we have some more games to talk about so don't go anywhere this next one i just want to give i just think some people might be interested to hear what i thought i played earth it's a hot game uh it's in the tableau laying game very much like terraforming Mars, which was kind of like a miss for us on this podcast compared to other people. I mean, we thought it was good. Okay. Brendan really hated it though. Uh, and in Arc Nova, right? You're have this, you're building out a four by four grid of plants essentially. And those plants are like getting spores on them. Uh, it's got a classic like leader and follow mechanism. So I think there are four or maybe five actions in the game that everybody takes it. They get the powerful action and then everybody else around the table gets the secondary action, which is cool because it makes it so that the game almost plays like real time. Like everybody's just always doing stuff almost to the extent that you're like, wait, did Whose I like turn is it? It's an action. Whose turn is it? Is this the yeah. second yellow in a row that we've done? Or are we still on the first one? The, my big takeaway was, you know, I, I'll be honest, like it didn't pop for me at all. I thought it was fine. I, you know, I would play it again if asked, but I wouldn't seek out more plays of it just because I think some of the other games in that space, Terraforming Mars and Arc Nova, while they are much longer games and have more rule grit for sure to make them, making them less accessible, like that really pays off in having unique and interesting cards that have a lot of character. My biggest problem with earth was that every card felt the same you know i had like mushroom and i had foliage and i had dirt or whatever and they all basically are just like doing the exact type same type of resource conversion 
I'm sure those nuances come out more if you play it a bunch of times and you kind of realize the different ways things can work together. Uh, but that was my one play impression. And I just wanted to share it with the podcast listeners. And I, I love hearing your impressions of like of the hotness shake. And this one, I'm not surprised that it was maybe like a that was neat. Yeah. And that might just speak to our like taste sure. for different mechanisms. Yeah. 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 And also glad to know that the I've heard the feedback a fair amount that the simultaneous the everyone's turn, you get to take actions on other people's turns and the turns kind of break down. It's nice to know, at least as a forewarning, that that same thing kind of popped up in your game of. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the next game, I'm really curious to hear about. Okay. This next game was my play of the weekend. Wow. It was one I was really excited to play because I've been playing it on Yukata with you and some of our Discord listeners. And it's all part of our personal exploration of Kramer and Kiesling games. And the game is Torres, kind of the honorary fourth wheel of the Mask trilogy using many of the similar action point mechanism, action selection, whatever menu mechanism. In Torres, you play as knights and the king has just announced that his inheritance will go to the proj- the offspring, whatever, progenity progenity progeny <laughs> to the progeny descendants to the descendant who has who claims the tallest and best castles it's the weirdest fairy tale <laughs> so it's a it's another one of those like abstract area control games but on this one similar to Cusco, you're building castles vertically up over the course of the game uh you have your actions are like placing knights on the board, you know, moving knights around. You can also draw an action card. So there's like a deck of 10 action cards. Everybody has the same deck. When you take that action, you get to draw three action cards, put one in your hand. The other two can go on top or bottom and they do a lot of really cool game breaking effects. Like normally the whole game is about like blocking people with your knights and with castle blocks because you can never you know, go into somebody else's space. You can never join two existing castles together by placing a block that would join them. So then the cards that you're getting are like leapfrog a knight or like, you know, jump. Normally you can only climb one elevation level in a step. And this other card lets you climb two or move an unoccupied existing block from one place to somewhere else. So you're all kinds of crazy stuff that can do it. The scoring is like dead simple. You just score uh, each castle where you multiply the level your knight is standing on times the number of base, like the the width of it, right? So if there's like a base of five blocks area, that makes sense. And I'm on the third level, then I get like 15 points. And that's pretty much all there is to it. But this game like is just so much fun. It's just absolutely you know, streamlined, elegant, interactive, puzzly. And this has this amazing innovation on T-Call where instead of 10 action points, five. Okay. Way easier to count. Yeah, which really unsurprisingly does a lot for making turns feel more like a reasonable board game turn by modern board game standards. And I was really excited to play it. Uh, and the at least one of the other players who was also new to it said that it was her favorite play of the retreat or whatever, the weekend as well. Uh, so, you know, it, it won many fans, my, at least two fans. Uh, I don't know. What, what questions do you have about this one? 
What about this play of Torres do you feel like made it pop for you, Jake? Was it the interactivity and the blocking that really came to the fore? Was it the card system? Was it the just the density of decisions offered because of that action point system? But the fact that it was knocked down to five made it more manageable? Yeah, like, I think... So I've been playing... I played T-Call again on the table recently. I also played Cusco on the table recently. And I really enjoy both of those games. Yeah. But they do make people want to AP. Yeah. And this and and it's not just because those games allow more action points, but in in Torres it's like the things you can do that help you are just a lot more obvious. Yes. And there's better ways to go about that and most importantly there are ways to go about that that will set you up to be able to do helpful things better in the future, but yeah. on any given turn it's pretty clear like I can do, you know, okay, I'll be able to like get this knight up to this level or I can like expand the base of this one I'm already standing on because you only like that's limited how many times you can actually build a castle block. Uh, the card play is super fun too. And then the last action you can do on your turn is just like move up on the victory point track. So the game also just gives you an easy out. It's like, guess what? If you can't see anything else to do, you Score can just point. get a point. And that I think is a really, it's, you know, that's the worst action, right? Because you're going to, the end game score is like 180 to 150 or whatever. So one point's probably not doing that much for you, but at least gives you an out that you can do something if you really get stuck or at the yeah. end of the game. So that can help keep it clipping along. Yeah. I'd only played it asynchronously before, um, but it felt like it gave me all the fun I had in T call and it really kept it to like, 50 minutes an hour instead of two and a half hours Two, yeah plus that's awesome i'm so glad to hear you had a great play of torres and i think this is not the last time y'all will hear about torres on our show sounds good to me all right and i'll keep going since i've played more another one i'll i'll discuss briefly is a game called arcana rising and i believe this was published by gray fox games uh which is a st louis based board game publisher it's very much uh drafting games in the realm of sushi go seven wonders or whatever where you just have like a six card hand you're taking something adding it to your tableau and passing it has a really cool mechanism where there's like five different classes of magic so it's basically you have five colors in the game and you'll it, there comes with like 10 poker chips that are two of each color and you randomly will lay those out. So there'll be in each of the six rounds of the draft, except for the last round. So the first five, you'll have two different classes of magic activated. And on your turn, you can either play a card to your tableau, or you can discard a card to activate all your spells in those two colors. So you basically activate those two portions of your tableau. And that decision is super fun and it really works well for sort of keeping like a manageable mental bandwidth, but still enabling like some strategy and pre-planning for your draft. And the game also does a really good job of getting you into your like unique build right away. You know, you take one card and you're like, okay, I think I'm going for this type of thing, which works really well in this type of drafting game. So overall, I really liked it. I think it was widely enjoyed by everyone. The only like caveat I would give is that it did, I'm not like a big like balanced person. I try and be like, you know, okay, we had one play, so I don't want to say the game's not balanced, but there definitely like a degenerate combo was discovered by the winning person that they just kept like 
hitting over and over and over and end up winning the game by like 40 points. So it's like, you know, everybody else had like 30 to 40 and they had like 78 or 80 points. So I don't know if that means like with future plays, more of those combos will come out, will be discovered by players or like people can be smarter about not allowing these two specific cards to get picked by the same player. But yeah, it was a really fun, quick drafting game that I would recommend people check out if if they're a fan of that genre. Cool. And that was Arcana Rising. Yeah. And the whole box is foil. So wow. don't let that stop you from checking it out. Shiny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about this what? next game? Okay. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll talk about this next game. Wait, do you want to talk about your game? And then I'll finish with the last two. Sure. Let's do that. Let's okay. Do that. So... so Longtime listeners listeners of the show will know that I really like a game called The Fox in the Forest, which is a two-player trick-taking game in which uh, players are trying to either win lots of lots of tricks or no tricks at all, more or less. You're trying to figure out if your hand is one such that you want to uh, be winning lots of tricks or essentially making the other player win so many tricks that they bust more or less and lose. So I have great fondness for that two-player trick-taking game. So I was excited to explore another two-player trick-taking game that comes highly recommended called Jekyll versus Hyde. Jekyll versus Hyde has a lot of similarities to The Fox in the Forest in that it has three suits, just like The Fox in the Forest has. It's a two-player trick-taking game, and it also has some interesting powers that shake up how the hands might play out, which can be an issue in these two-player trick-taking games, where even if there's a few hidden cards, you, you'll probably have a pretty good sense for what is in your opponent's hand because you know what's in your own hand. So given a limited card pool, you can deduce fairly quickly what you don't have, meaning your opponent probably has that. So Jekyll versus Hyde takes this idea of maybe sometimes you want to win tricks and maybe sometimes you want to lose them in Fox in the Forest and switches it on its head and makes it such that players take turns playing these asymmetric roles where uh, Dr. Jekyll is a role in which you would like uh, to win both players to win the most even number of tricks possible. You want to both win. I think there's 10 tricks. You just, the perfect score for you is five and five. Mr. Hyde, on the other hand, when you're playing that character, you either want to win all the tricks or lose all the tricks. Uh, there's an interesting thing where the value of these suits, the rank of them shifts based on when they're played. So the first suit played is the lowest value. The next one that comes out is the middle value. And the final one is the highest value suit. Uh, and then what's le- uh, layered over all the top of this is each of the suits have a power associated with them when these special suitless potion cards get played. So the red one lets you erase that rank order and reorder. So they'll be reordered midway through the match. So your sort of calculus around winning and losing suits could really change if you've been saving up a set of cards you think will be the winning suit. And now it's the lowest rank suit because your opponent has deduced that and set you up. There's another one that means that when you win that color or whoever wins that that trick gets to win two cards instead of just one. So it can create these nice little swings. And the other uh, color green, when green is played against a potion, you exchange cards with your opponent. So you can set up these situations where you're playing perfectly, except you have two cards that are going to ruin your strategy and you just flick them over to the other side and then you finish that way. I find Jekyll versus Hyde really, really lovely. I I really enjoy playing this game. I think it's nice how it takes this sort of core ideas that the Fox in the Forest were building on and inverts them in some ways. It makes one player... Uh, 
always want it to be even one player either want to win all or lose all the suits. I think it's fun playing the game from each of those asymmetric positions. And it can be really tough when you're playing Mr. Hyde. Did I do that right? Yeah, Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. (laughs) You tell me. When you're playing uh, Mr. Hyde, I think I'm doing that right. To be the one who, uh, to to try to figure out, do I really want to be winning suits or do I really want to be losing suits? Uh, This game could be hugely swingy though. I find oftentimes either you end up with like a very close even game or just you get totally blown out. To accommodate mm-hmm. for this, you play it over three rounds and it's kind of a race to the end of the track. So it's there's this built-in padding. I like it. I've played it around 20 times, 25 times. Wow. It's okay. a great, yeah, it's a really good game. I've played the Fox in the Forest more than that. Sure. And I don't think it jumps above the Fox no. in the Forest for my and I, uh, but it's one I enjoy. I recommend. The, and there's a new co-op version coming out that I'm excited to take a, a look at as well. So I think that one's called, it's Jekyll versus Hyde versus Scotland Yard. So we just throw an extra versus in there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Co-op version. So Can't wait cool. for the third one. Yeah, Jekyll versus Hyde versus Scotland Yard versus Sherlock Holmes or something. Gotham City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's Jekyll versus Hyde. That's cool, man. Yeah, it's interesting because in some ways inverting fox and forest sounds like taking out the most interesting part of the fox sure. and forest right where you get to like kind of choose that or play towards something and you're like have that mind game with your opponent we're like oh wait they're trying to lose tricks yeah yeah you know so that's interesting having not played jekyll versus hyde i I will say, taking that out, I agreed with you. I agree with you, Jake, that on the face, it seems like, oh, that's so much of the tension of that core system that I loved. But what you get in return is the powers in the Fox in the Forest on the different suits are really cool, but you don't always feel creative when you use them. And here you have the the potion cards that give you a lot of flexibility. And I would say make you feel even more clever than when you use the special power cards in the Fox in the Forest wall. So I'd recommend you even as a, a trick-taking sort of like, oh, they're okay. Check this one out with me sometime on Board Game Arena. I think you'd dig it. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get more into trick-taking games. And to help me do that, I have my good friend, Pete, Wissinger, I hope I'm saying Pete's last name right. I really don't know. But Pete is a listener of this podcast and he's also like a major trick taking game enthusiast. So he has like 35 trick taking games in his collection, he said, something like that. And he brought like 17 of them to (laughs) Gamers Ranch. And I didn't really have a lot of opportunity to overlap with Pete, unfortunately. But At the very end of the night, actually, the last game I played, I had the chance to sit down with Pete and Dave and Henry to play one of the trick-taking games that they have been devouring over the course of the day. And I basically asked Pete, I said, like, you know, give me your best one. You know, what is the one that's going to really, like, cinch trick-taking games for me? And he pulled out Nocoso Dice. And Nocoso Dice is, I understand, a really small print run trick-taking game that was imported from Japan. I think it was actually created and published by a board game cafe over there, I'm, if I'm uh, paraphrasing what they told me correctly. And Nokoso Dice is really interesting because it's a trick-taking game that also has dice. So the way this game works is you have four suits, I think, and you have 40 cards, right? You deal every 10 cards. Then everybody takes two dice out of the bag in, actually, I think there's five colors, in matching colors, right? That match the suits of the card. And you roll those two dice in front of you. So if you roll one purple and a five green, guess what? Those are cards that you can play as tricks. Brendan, the dice are cards. 
And you have a hand of cards too. And you have a hand of cards, but you have some dice that are visible that everybody wow. can see that you can use to win tricks. Okay. But that's not all, right? This is where your brain's going to really start to expand galaxy brain style because you roll out a bunch of other dice before you start going. I don't know, maybe like, I feel like I ended with like five dice each. So maybe it's like three more dice per player gets rolled. And then we all draft them one at a time. So then we draft dice, okay, in front of us. So now I have like five or six dice in front of me that are cards, right? And the dice are cards, okay? I can't stress that enough, but there's more, okay? Because the last, there's one extra die that won't get drafted because there's an uneven number of players or dice for players or whatever. So that one die that is not drafted is the Trump suit and Trump number. So does that make sense to you? So if the green five is not drafted, then green is the Trump suit. And also all fives are Trump. Okay. Wow. And they're in their own suit too. They don't count as green anymore, which is confusing, uh, but fine. Okay. So if you're the set, the last person to draft, that's apparently called the hammer, you have the hammer because you have a lot of power to determine like how powerful, you know, your hand and other people's hand are and dice. Okay. But there's one more wrinkle. Okay. So now we're going full galaxy brain here, which is that we're going to play suits and you're going to try and win suits. Okay. Right. Wherever you're going to try and win tricks, every trick that you win, that's one point, but you're also going to make a bid for how many tricks you're going to win. Right. You've heard about that. Yep, before. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. But what if I told you, you don't make that bet at the beginning because the last die that you have in front of you, that is not like once you, if you have two dice left in front of you, that's your bid, you use one and the other one, the number of that becomes your bid for how many tricks you're going to win. So you're trying to like manipulate all of that into like, I guess I'm trying to win like three different (laughs) tricks. Okay. Uh, and it's totally crazy, totally mind like my neurons aren't ready evaporating to like try and do it. But I told Pete afterwards, I think I we, we played like three rounds and it was like pretty late and I went to bed, but it was very fun, like a really cool game. Uh, I liked a lot and I ended up like successfully navigating one. I did, you know, I, I didn't win. I think I got like last of everybody points wise, but one of my bids was right in one of those three rounds. And it just felt like a miracle, like yeah. that. I that like all of this had happened, and I ended up with the number of tricks that I won. You know, perfect. That sounds so novel and interesting, and it also sounds like Jake. The draft would just be like loaded with tension. I think that it might be. Of course, I was not really operating on sure, that the, level yeah. of understanding. But even at a base level, like Pete gave me a really helpful tip where he's like, just try and take different numbers, right? Because mm, then mm-hmm. you, have, if you have a lot of different numbers, then you have options open yep. as you get down to it. But it's really crazy because like you don't want to necessarily take dice. I found that you don't have cards in the matching suit because in the first round we were playing, like I was like doing really good. Like I had won four tricks and I had like a two and a four left. And then somebody played a card, like a red two, and I had no choice but to use my red die that I was going to use as my trick bid because it was red and you have to follow. So you like pulled the thing I was going to use as my bid out from under me. 
So there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, but like super cool game. I don't know if it's possible to get. It might be, it might not be. It'd be easy, I assume, to like, you know, it's just some numbered cards and some dice. But that was No Coso Dice. And I'm excited to have played it and share with y'all. And I'm also excited to learn more about trick-taking games from Pete because if they're like this, then I think I like them. And would you play this again? Oh, 100%. I would, yeah. yeah I, I was like sad that I had to like leave. I was just like, okay, it's getting really late. Um, but yeah, I, I would play this again. And yeah, it made me excited to see, you know, what, you know, there's like 17 of these other boxes next to it that are all like completely unfamiliar to me. It really made me want to know, like, well, what's like the twist in these other ones? The um, presentation, but- too, of Nikosu Dice is really charming. It is. It's it's the colors are all quite uh, vivid. It reminds me of a. I read a lot of kids books these days, Jake, as you can imagine. It reminds me of like a beautiful. Uh, do you remember the the rainbow fish or whatever? Oh yeah, it reminds me of that almost to a T. Kind of like Eric Carl watercolor type stuff going on it's, as well. It's it has like really a little bit of like a paper craft craft like, yep. look yeah. to it. Yeah, totally. so it was nice and it was a a fun game and like a surprise to me. You know, I had never heard of it and then I was playing it. And it was just one of those moments where like, yeah, games are awesome. Yeah. You know, this is just like a handful of cards and like some colorful dice, you know, as super small box. Uh, What a winner. And dice are cards. What a novel, a novel idea. Is yeah. that crazy? Well, it's really crazy. It, 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 they were like, he, he was like, well, we could play this or this or Nicoso Dice. I was like, I like dice. And he's like, you like dice? And then that was oh, the one we picked. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, okay, Jake, I, I feel like we've done the listeners a small disservice by not hitting them up front with the fact that coverage of this game was coming. I said it was going to heat up and then it was going to oh. heat again, up again. But here we are. The pedal is to the metal. Jake, you played the the hottest of the hotness. Recently. The hottest of the hot. You played Heat. Heat. Yeah, I played Did- Heat twice. Wow. Okay. How was yeah. it? Well, the fact that I played it twice at this setting should tell you that it was, it was- well received yeah. by me and well received by others because we, I was in two games of Heat, but I know that at least one other game of Heat was happening. Like people were like playing this game and then excited to teach others and play it more. Uh, if you're not familiar, Heat is a racing game uh, that is card driven and it uses a mechanisms similar, but I guess I don't know if improved upon is fair, but certainly iterated sim- iterated upon from. Vlam Rouge. Thank you, Brendan. Yep. I totally lost it there. Uh, so basically, the game works as follows. Everybody will simultaneously choose a gear to go in. So you start in first gear, and you can go up one or down one. Uh, or you could spend a heat to go up or down two. So whatever gear you're in, that's how many cards that you play. Your cards are numbered. So maybe if I play a three, a three, and a one, that means I'm moving seven spaces. Sure. Does that make sense? Yep. Then, so then we, we, so after everybody's secretly simultaneously pick their cards, we take turns resolving them sort of in order of the race. So whoever's in first place goes first. And then when you're going, you can also spend a heat. So you have like a stack of, you have a draw pile, a heat pile, and a discard pile. So I can take a heat from my heat pile and put it in my discard pile to boost and I'll flip cards off the top of my deck until I hit another numbered card to advance more. So you have a little bit of decision making 
within the resolution of your turn. If you end up next to somebody or one space behind somebody, you get to slip stream and get some extra movement. So uh, everybody has like the same deck, right? We're all using the same card. So a lot of the differentiation that happens in this game is by hitting slip streams effectively, right? Because you get like two extra movement over the course of the game that can be pretty big. And it also comes really predicting like, you know, where you know, should I try and move a lot or a little bit here and a lot next time based on like where I think other people might be with their cars. Yep. Then, you know, once you go through your deck, like you'll shuffle it in and all of a sudden you'll start drawing like heat cards, which are bad because they don't do anything and you can't discard them. So the only way to get heat out of your hand is you have to like shift down. And if you're in gear two, you only get to play two cards, but you can remove a heat from your hand. And if you're in gear one, you only play one card, but you can remove three heat. There's also corners on the race so you can't go too fast through corners so every like all the you know tight corners on the map and there's like several different maps you can play on have a number on that corner so say it's seven so if i pass this corner and my combined movement of all the cards and boosts that i've used are above seven i have to move one heat into my discard pile for the difference so if i go through at a nine then two heat has to go to my discard pile if you can't do that maybe you boosted and you hit a four when you were hoping to only hit a two then you spin out you put all your heat remaining into your discard pile and you have to go back behind the corner into uh gear one so there's a little bit of push your luck there though you really want to try and avoid that from happening in in my estimation, having played it a couple times. But I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, that's it's a really uh, simple system. The first time I played it, we did just one lap, which is recommended. It took about, you know, 40 minutes with six people all learning it the first time. So very quick. And it, you know, I was I was quite confounded about like what kind of like strategy I should be going for when I should be moving what. And I kind of got in a bad position in the race where I was like a full corner behind people, right? So once you get out of the corner, you're like shifting up and like moving really far. And I was just like behind them. So I was like too far behind to like start slip streaming. So I basically didn't use enough heat early enough because in that one lap race, you, you want to just like use all your heat, right? Because it's not going to matter so much if it's stuck in your hand or you want to just use heat to get through corners you don't have to worry about it that type of thing but the second time we played it it was a two lap race and having learned a little bit more about it and being able to start making like intentional choices with my car uh, i found the system you know to be really fun to kind of play in like start making predictions about where people are going to be and i also found that one player got way behind early because they were managing their heat more cautiously i was like i learned from my mistake you know like get through this corner burn the three heat you know whatever i'll like deal with that later and it seemed like they were just like completely toast but like playing that strategy by the second lap you know maybe like two-thirds through the game they had not only caught up but were like in first place again wow like if anything they caught up too early and i i have a picture i'll post it on the instagram um uh, that is like we're in the second lap of this like coming up to like the final turn and all five cars in the game are one space apart like right next to each other in a line it, which was like awesome like we we're just like wow we can't believe that like you know this is this tight like it felt absolutely insane 
and yeah, I mean, it's like a, it was a total blast. You know, I feel like I racing games isn't something that I found that I really loved so much. Like long shot, the dice game is barely a racing. It's like a gambling game. Didn't really work for me. Down force. Oof. You know, that one didn't yep. work for us. But this one, super fun. You know, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know if I'll pick it up or not. I might. I, I'm interested to. I think it's one that plays gr- another game that plays like kind of loud on the table. Right. It's exciting. Uh, it looks great. The art is really nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just like, you know, it's one of those games where it's just like, yeah, games are meant to be like super fun. And this one is, you know, just on its face, a really good time that I think would work well with, you know, gaming enthusiast groups, but also the more like lay person population. You know, people are like, yeah, like, let's come over and play a game. I want to come over to a game night sometime, but aren't necessarily like, you know, playing games every night or all the time on board game arena. Like this is just the perfect game to play at a game night like that. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I think, you know, wow, what a well done game this is. Maybe I should pick it up. I think that's really cool, Jake. And I love to hear about the sort of impactful decisions around like actually pushing your heat and knowing when to like make a big push. I think that sounds so cool. And it's so thematically evocative of things like the Fast and the Furious, which is a, when I think of racing, I kind of go back to that classic series. I haven't watched a lot of those movies, but I watched the original one. And that was like a core decision of this like pivotal scene in that movie. So hearing you talk about this game of like, well, yeah, this is the minute that I like, I knew I needed to push the heat or this person used their heat well and caught up. It just, that sounds like there's rewarding decisions to be had there too. And it's really neat that the game comes with two double-sided boards. So you have four maps in that base box to like really test your metal. Yeah. And there, there are cool moments too. Like, you know, I was, I was at one point in first place and I went down to gear one to dump three heat in my hand. So I only went forward like two spaces and other players probably assume, you know, that would go more. So then, you know, they go a little bit ahead of me, but don't get the slipstream. And then next time I speed back up and slipstream off them to get back in front, like stuff like that. Right. Which is just like, so emergent out of these like quite simple mechanisms yeah and i can't compare it to flam rouge because i haven't played that but i think pete had played both he, he played this game as well and he felt as though my impression was that he felt like this was a you know a big a strict improvement upgrade. of the mechanisms in that game sort of like yeah. taking those mechanisms and then you know kind of take it to the next level make it more of like a gamery yep gamified version of it i've i've heard that as well that just yeah if you liked Flamme rouge it's a huge hit and if you haven't played Flamme rouge maybe just swing straight for heat so that's one i would love to play and jake i'm thank you so much for talking us through you know i i talked about three games i feel like you you got to just pound through this series of games yeah i'm tired it's so fun i I also i'm like literally i'm physically tired because i got back from the gamers ranch like six hours ago or something (laughs) you know there's like so all this is very fresh and yeah again thanks everyone for listening to this episode it's fun to talk about i hope you enjoyed hearing quick recaps of some of my recent plays experience if you were uh at the gamers ranch thanks again for all the fun games for teaching games uh and look forward to gaming again with you all and for all of our pre-planners as a reminder get those plays of spots and can't stop in if you'd like to play along with us for our upcoming push your luck podcast uh, episode both those games are available on board game arena follow us on instagram just search decision space podcast we'll come right up 
and you can find more things Decision Space at decisionspacepodcast.com. Until next time, thank you so much to Hembry for our intro and outro song, Reach Out. Uh, and thanks so much, Jake, for regaling us. And until next time, bye all. Bye. bye.